We all want to experience healthy love and be the best version of ourselves in relationships. And it's especially hard when you find yourself exiting something that has felt painful, not knowing where you went wrong, how you stayed for so long, and why you feel so unlike yourself anymore which is why I'm so passionate about my group coaching program, Becoming, designed to help you work through the mindfuck of confusing relationships alongside women who get it so that you can rewire to secure, mature, healthy relationships together. This is your time to step outside of the self-help books and be held as you actually become the woman who not only can attract the emotionally available man who's doing his own work, but actually hold that healthy love because you have the tools to navigate it healthfully. This work is for you to call in that mature partnership and family that is waiting on the other side. Enrollment is happening now in January and there are four spaces available. So go to briewolta.com backslash becoming to submit your interest form today. Welcome to this episode of Lucid Living with Brie, Learn to Live in Love Awake. I am your host, Brie Walta, and today I don't have a guest. I don't have tips for you on how to do relationships differently. I have for you my story, and in the same way that I asked my guests to come on and be vulnerable, I am going to vulnerably share my story. Because the reason that I do what I do is so close to my heart. I didn't just wake up one day that was like, this sounds cool. Let me help women through this stuff. It's like, no, I went through that fire. And the woman that I am today in a healthy relationship with a partner who is so deeply genuine and respectful and loving, where I feel safe where I feel like I can communicate anything that I feel or need or the stories that I'm making up in my head about something that happened, it's so safe. And to be received like that, to be genuinely cared for is something that I've never truly felt. And the woman that I was in my last relationship or in my my upbringing would have rolled her eyes in complete disbelief of like relationships don't feel like that. Like that's not real. And part of the reason that I feel so, so passionate about helping women heal from unhealthy relationships, toxic relationships, codependent relationships, whatever type of bullshit relationships you've been in is because I want you to feel this feeling. I want you to to understand in, in every cell of your being, what it means to be loved genuinely and not manipulated, not being used to the benefit of someone else, not being in a partnership because you're just too afraid to be alone. I want you to feel this. It's like an anchoring. It's an anchoring into life, not in a way that I need him in order to survive, but in a way that like, like he is such a part of me and my experience that I wouldn't, I don't know how to even articulate this. He's, he's part of my experience in such a profound way that it adds to my life. It adds to my ability to expand into my business, to support clients, to show up for my friends. 
I am, my energy is contained and therefore I have it to give instead of being in a relationship where it feels like you're in a strainer and you just try to keep filling your cup up, but it just, it just keeps going out the bottom. I feel, I feel com completed in this, this safety. And I want that for women. So I want to share with you where I was and how I got to this place because it's possible. I've done it clearly, and I help women do it every day. So where do I start? Mm -hmm. I've shared my story in many ways in different pieces on this podcast um, in relation to other stories that were shared. And on other podcasts, people ask me the story, you know, and it's usually like a two or three minute synopsis of, of what it was. But for you, I want to go a little bit deeper. So I'll start from the beginning in this experience of what it was like to feel euphorically desired. When I met my ex, it was like he, I was already on a pedestal for him. I was this person that he was seeking, that he would wait for. I was coming out of another relationship and trying to heal my heart from that. And he was this, what seemed to be this knight in shining armor. You know, he wanted to listen to me process the other relationship. And it was the first time that I experienced a man like really wanting to, to hear what I had to say or hear my feelings and reflecting that all back to me and, and saying things like, you know, I know I love you and I'll wait for you to heal your heart. And I'll, I'll be here when you're ready and you deserve that time. And, and just to me, I guess I had always sort of been the woman who like wasn't sought after in the way of I'm I'll wait for you, but it was more of me um, liking a guy and then him choosing me and then moving forward. So this was the first time that my ex uh, or that I experienced somebody like vocalizing that you're worth waiting for. And it felt good. It felt so fucking good to feel that along along with other things of, you know, surprise, huge bouquets of flowers and um, just thoughtful messages that made me feel really desired. And when I did decide to move forward with him and start dating, it was, you know, kind of off to the races and all of these really insane ways. So we took a lot of trips together um, we were sort of just like floating in this, this euphoric space of what I thought at the time was, was just the beginning of this relationship, the honeymoon phase, you know, and it felt good. It felt so good that we'd never fought. We never disagreed. He liked all the things that I liked. So I was, I was really leaning into more of the spiritual aspect and more of getting into like spirit oracle cards and tarot cards and energy work and just leaning more into this more woo quote unquote side of myself and and lo and behold he liked every single thing wanted to go to moon circles with me um 
it, it felt unbelievable. And, and I laugh now because it was unbelievable and it wasn't real. But me in that moment, I was like, oh my God, he is my soulmate. He is this, this person that I've been waiting for. And all of the other relationships that didn't work, you know, were worth it because of this one. And that lasted for, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or so. And then we stopped traveling so much. Um, there were some big things that happened in his life that sort of shook him. And then we got into COVID and all of a sudden it, it, it felt like real life was there. And when we had moved in together, um, he had moved into the house that I owned and I started, you know, feeling that, that desire to shut up, to shut down my feelings, to, to not try to communicate what I was feeling because when I had, it was usually met with some sort of frustration or some sort of, um, you know, just stop making problems. If you, if you didn't feel so much, if you weren't so emotional about everything, then we would be okay. Stop ruining the weekends. And I really believed that. I really believed like, oh, maybe I am, maybe I am being too demanding. Maybe I am expecting too much from him. And so I just, I just kind of got quieter and quieter. And that was already a place that felt familiar and comfortable for me was to not really use my voice. And at this time in my life, I was very codependent and hadn't really understood the depth of my codependence um, that was that was in the relationship with him and in other relationships in my life. And so this sort of like, if you're okay, I'm okay vibe was where I was where I was living, you know, wanting to people please, um, not understanding that he could have an experience separate of mine and that not mean that I was um, you know, at fault or in trouble in any way. So we are very enmeshed and I just, I wanted so badly to, to be the good girlfriend, to be the one that, you know, didn't cause the problems. So stop, stop bringing things up. And of course, resentment builds and we went from never disagreeing and never fighting to almost every conversation turning into either me panicking and shutting down because freezes is my, is my stress response response. Um, I don't fight. I don't flee. I just, I freeze. And every time in conversations when I would freeze, it would, he would amplify and he would try to try to get the rise, try to be heard. He would, and I don't do well with um, yelling or like heightened emotion um, from trauma in my childhood. So it was all very uncomfortable. And I, I felt myself pulling farther away and feeling more unsafe somewhere in my subconscious. That wasn't like a, a conscious thought of, oh, this, this is an unsafe relationship. But there was part of me that was like, oof, we gotta, we gotta protect over here. We gotta pull back. And I just remember so many conversations with my friends where it was like my mind was all consumed with him and what was happening and what I was doing wrong and how I could say a different word or approach a different thing or 
what I was going to bring up in therapy that week with my therapist to try to do better, to try to fix it. And so many of my conversations with my friends revolved around that, around him. It was like, he was the only thing in my life that I had space for because it was all, it, it was just so consuming. And what I didn't know then, but I know now is that I was being gaslit in many ways. And so denying my reality, denying my experience of, of feeling something that was true for me. And when I would bring something up, <laughs> you know, him, him saying like, we already, we already addressed that. We, we came to that conclusion yesterday so much so that I really thought I was losing it. Like I really thought that I was crazy. And, and being in that experience was maddening. I, I started to really question my, my intelligence. Did I remember that wrong? Did we have that conversation? Why can't I make sense of what he's saying? I'm smart. I thought I was smarter than this and really telling myself all of these things that I was, that he was telling me. And it happened slowly enough that you don't realize the pieces of you that are getting chipped away. My confidence was, was like tanking completely. And my sense of self, I didn't know who I was anymore. I was just my purpose, it felt like was to just make this relationship better. It's like, I don't want to be with him, but I don't know who I am without him. And, and I knew that it didn't feel good. And I remember very vividly telling my therapist at the time, like relationships are just supposed to be hard because I believed that deeply. I believe that I, I grew up witnessing hard relationships and I just thought it was part of it. And in my mind, I had already committed to being with him long-term, you know, in the beginning in the fun play, in the fun stages, we were talking about marriage and, you know, in it for the long haul and doing, doing whatever we needed to, to, to make it work. And I'm a loyal person anyway, loyal person at heart in relationships and jobs. Like I just, I just am. And so that's a, that's a. That was something that he took advantage of that I can see now in knowing that I wasn't going to be the one to say, this is fucked up and I'm out. <laughs> so it took me a really long time to even understand that it was something that was beyond repair. And I remember another therapy session and God bless my therapist. I still see her to this day and <laughs> she's seen me come a long ways in many ways, in many different aspects of my life. But, um, I think about that and I I've told her this, I'm like, how did you not, how did you sit there and let me say these things to you while you could see so clearly what was going on? And all she said was like, there was nothing that I was going to say that was going to change your mind. Like you had to come to that conclusion. And one of the things that I remember saying to her was, you know, maybe it's just my, it's my fault that I'm expecting a 10 out of him. I just need to lower my expectations to like a four and then I won't be constantly disappointed. And I think back on myself then 
And I have so much compassion for her because she really believed that she really believed that if she could just need less, then it would be okay. Then the problems would be solved. Like that was how much responsibility I was taking for the relationship and the downfall and the pain. There was not a sense of like, Hey, maybe he's a part of this. Maybe he needs to take accountability for some of this stuff. Um, so I don't know, brainwashed in the fog under the spell, whatever metaphor you want to use, that is what it felt like because looking back on myself, then I, I'm just like, wow, like, like the thought processes, the, the lack of confidence, the lack of, of trust in myself. I was feeling these, these moments of like, this isn't, this isn't good. Or he would call, he traveled a bit for work, uh, pre COVID he would call and I could hear things in the background that didn't feel right from what he was saying. And somewhere in me, I knew that he was doing something shady. There were other women involved or, or drugs or alcohol or something. There was something that was happening that I couldn't, I didn't have proof of at that time. And I couldn't vocalize, but part of me fucking knew it, which is one of the blessings of coming through this in the way that I did is, is I did get, I, I got validation for myself that all those times I was right. And that's helped me really rebuild my trust in myself and in my, in my spidey senses. Um, because I, I was disconnected from that for a long time. So as we sort of progressed in this, this experience of it, just feeling hard, feeling, feeling heavy, feeling hopeless. I was feeling a lot of anxiety. I was contemplating getting in on anxiety medication because I, I just like couldn't manage, um, what I now know was again, all of this intuition around it, not being safe. He wasn't safe and I didn't, it, there was a disconnect there. So all I felt was the, the anxiety and it was almost debilitating and, um, trying the natural remedies, the adaptogens, you know, weren't really working because I was in such an insane survival response that in my body also felt familiar. So he has a lot of the qualities of people in my past that I have un unhealed wounds around, which is why, why his manipulation, his selfishness, his lies felt familiar in some way and felt like really comforting in this disturbing way. And that's how I stayed so long, to be quite honest, is it was like this, at least I understand this shit. I understand how to be the codependent rescuer who has to rescue the person who's, you know, less than quote unquote than I am. And it took, it took a long time to wrap my head around the level of dysfunction. And as I started trying to set more boundaries, um, that was something that I was open to with, with my therapist. I was like, I'm not, I don't want to leave. I don't, I'm not going to leave until I know for sure that that's the choice that feels best. And I just couldn't access that knowing I couldn't, it was like one day I was like, Oh, I should probably leave. And the other day is like, Oh, I, you know, this is actually great. He apologized. He's saying he's going to go to therapy. Um, 
and there would be that back and forth a bit of of getting glimpses of it working or getting glimpses of his um caring is not even the right word but like some sort of warmth from him and then that justifying all the other red flags like no never mind never mind never mind I call that place potential land now in my work with clients because it's almost like we disassociate to this world this other world where all of the potential comes true all of the hopes come true he goes to therapy you start communicating it's loving again. You start going on trips again. And if I'm in that place, I don't have to be in my real place. And if I'm not in my real place then I don't have to accept what's happening. And if I don't accept what's happening, then I don't have to change it. So there was a bit of denial for a very, very long time. And the spark for me was twofold. First being again, another conversation with my therapist, which is why it's so fucking important to have a support person while you're trying to navigate all this stuff. But she asked me, you know, what do you like about him right now? And, and I started to think about like, well, I, I loved how we used to just be so free and go on these trips. And he was a very spontaneous person. And I, there was part of me that was drawn to that because I am much more of an organized planner. And so in the beginning, that was exciting. And so I started naming off all these things from our, the beginning of the relationship. And she's like, no, now, what do you, what do you like about him now or within the last week or two weeks? And I just went silent. And I remember that moment of like, ah, fuck, I cannot name anything, nothing. And that really, that was the moment for me that was that the lights turned on and I was like, something's got to change here. So from that point, I was like, let's start setting boundaries. Let's start asking for our needs. And she really helped me build the confidence to be able to do those things. And as I started to do those things, I started to see behaviors from him that were not just like the relationship is hard, but this is scary now. And his outbursts or his reactions, um, again, that sort of when I would freeze, he would, he would get bigger and he would yell. And it was, it was, it all became very clear that the more that I didn't allow him to have control of something, the more panicked he got, the more his, his mask sort of started falling. And in so many ways, I wish I wish it could have been different in, in that I wouldn't have had to experience the malicious intent of a person in the way that I did from him, but his maliciousness really allowed me to see him for who he was. And that helped me leave. So saying the words was the hardest thing I ever did. And the other part of the two part twofold that helped me leave was a conversation with a friend. And, you know, I was back and forth all day long with a couple different friends, like totally taking them away from their life and their work. Cause I'm like, I'm ready to leave. Please help me like maintain the strength. And I call them 10 minutes later. I'm not ready to leave. There's no way I can do this. I'm panicking. And it was just this, this ping pong back and forth. And one thing that 
my friend said was either you're going to feel the pain of ripping this bandaid off or you're going to live in the pain for the rest of your life, like short-term versus long-term pain. And that stuck with me because in that moment, I realized there was no option where this felt good. And, and I was able to see like, okay, I can do this quick pain. I can say the words, this is over. Don't come home. I can say that versus living in this, like just bloody warfare for the rest of my life. But saying it, literally saying it to him was the hardest thing that I ever did. And, and sticking to that was the hardest thing. Um, before, before the ultimate ending, we did have, we did take a break. We tried to go to couples therapy, um, and the, the therapist, which I really appreciated. She was like, you guys, this isn't going to work. Like you need to take some space and you need to both sit with your codependency. And he was working through some other things at that time that didn't make it possible for us to engage in couples therapy. So she's like, I recommend you take some space. So we did. And, um, he moved out for a little while and went and got some help. Um, and when he came back from that, it was sort of like this, oh, everything's better. Everything's different. I understand my pain and my traumas now, and I'm ready. I'm ready to be there for you. I, I see what I, you know, it was all of the, it was like potential land to the, to the max. Um, and that lasted for, I don't know, a week or two. I can't remember exactly, but then it really tanked. And then I got to this place of, I have to say the words. Um, and thankfully this sounds weird as something to be thankful for, but when I did break up with him, his, his behavior went from like a eight on a scale of 10 to a 75, like the intensity, the fear, the things that he did on purpose to try to hurt me were so outrageous. I went from living in sort of a naive world around like, you know, people are all trying their best and um, giving people the benefit of the doubt to like, what nightmare am I in? And thank fucking God I'm out of, he's out of my house. Um, like disbelief on how I live, how I slept next to this person for four years in the behavior that he was, he was, he was showing was just incredible. Um, to the point of needing to, needing to take extreme measures physically in moving, <laughs> moving homes, um, getting a restraining order, filing for a restraining order. Um, it was scary. And it was something that the, the thankful part for me was that I never second guessed going back because his behavior was so, so terrifying. So a lot of my clients, you know, when they leave there in sort of this limbo of like, Ooh, maybe I should go back and maybe it'll be better. And, you know, when they have those feelings of being alone or feeling like they're going to be alone forever, they, they contemplate going back. And that wasn't my truth. I never contemplated going back, 
because of what I was experiencing for several months afterwards. Um, but I did have those moments of like, oh, I'm going to be alone forever. I'm going to, and that was a big hesitation that I had towards leaving was that, oh, if I leave him, who's going to want me? I had been so conditioned to believe that I was too much. I was always, you know, creating the problems. I was too emotional. I was never, never happy. And so I was like, nobody else is going to want that. <laughs> so that was a big hurdle to get over in leaving. And then afterwards, even through, even through the craziness, I never, I knew I never wanted to go back, but I did have those moments of missing him which I was able to hold the duality of like, he's abusive and I miss him. And what the fuck? Like, that's not, those aren't things that should be happening at the same time. Um, and I didn't understand grief in the way that I do now. And I didn't understand grieving an abusive relationship in the way that I do now. So again, looking at myself in that experience with so much compassion, because I was so confused. I was so confused. And there was so much judgment around how can you miss somebody who literally just did this to you? And, you know, I, I am so grateful for the friends that I have, that I leaned on and my family that I had, that I leaned on during this time. And they tried their best in so many ways to to be there for me and just let me, let me cry when I needed to cry or, or help me pack my health my house up and move. And like, it was just, I had so much support that I'm grateful for. And if you haven't been through the experience of missing somebody who's abused you, it's hard to, it's hard to relate to that. It's hard to, for me, it was hard to feel comfortable being completely honest in some of those moments because I was so ashamed. I had so much embarrassment. Um, and I would, I would, I would lean on my friends, like to the point that felt, I felt like I could relate, they could relate and hold the space. But there were some, some moments where I was curled up on the living room floor, just bawling, like felt like my heart was coming out of my throat. Like it was just, it was pain that I had never, never experienced in my life. It was grief that I had never experienced in my life. And up to this point in my life, I didn't really, I didn't really like allow myself to feel those things deeply. Like I don't know, maybe, maybe I had felt other breakups in different ways, but this one was like, like I let myself go in, into that, into that pain, into that, that deep feeling of sorrow and sadness and fear and all of the things that came up and really moved through the feelings exponentially, I believe, because I, I just sort of dove in the deep end. Um, I remember calling my therapist after, uh, like, you know, soon after this, this ending happened and being like, we need to do brain spotting. Like I need to, I need to process this shit. I like, he can no longer have control in my mind. 
And so I was very motivated, very motivated to make meaning, to find clarity around what happened so that I could move forward. Um, because the amount of control that I found out he had over me and my mind and my life was so disgusting that I was like, nope, I'm taking back control. And the finding clarity pieces was so big for me. Um, and that's what I feel really passionate about helping women do is because when we have clarity, we can see what things are. And if we can see what they are, we can make changes, whether that's in a dynamic that we're in or a pattern that we have, or just a tendency that we have when we get scared or start to feel alone or whatever it is. It's like, if I have understanding around that, then I could learn the tools necessary for that thing. You don't feel powerless. So I did, I dove in, <laughs> I dove, I dove far in, and that was a, it was a really painful really painful several months of, of healing from that experience, um, interlaced with like him still finding ways to access me. And, um, it was hard. It was really hard to, to make sense of how somebody could behave that way. It, that like, so malicious is the best word. If you have been in an experience with a narcissist, I just, fucking understand it's trying to understand it's like you are trying to understand someone who lives on a different planet and that's not you're never we're never fully going to understand how they can treat people without empathy because we do and so um that was a big piece for me to try to try to work through and understand and towards the end of the really acute healing phase um, I started feeling fear around dating again. And like I had in so many ways, I had built this confidence back and I, you know, I moved, I bought a house, I moved homes. I, I was thriving in so many places in my life. It was almost like in the relationship, the slingshot had been, been, been pulled back and I was at the point of tension and then when I left, it was like, ping, and I shot forward, <laughs> like so much happened in that year. I started this business, like it was just, um, it was just incredible. It felt like time was warped in some crazy way, but in so many ways, I felt like the shit to, to just put it simply. I'm like, if I can get through that, I can fucking do anything. And I still feel that way. But, um, there was a part of me that was like very anxious about the, about the dating thing again. And I had never been on an app before this. Um, before him, I was in a relationship with somebody who we just connected through the communities that we were in. Um, and before, before him, it was like met the people in college that I dated. And so I was like, Oh, I've heard really bad things about the dating apps and I don't want to do that. And I was having so much anxiety around just what the app would be like um, that I just told myself that I had to, I had to make the profile to, to just get a, just get the lay of the land. Um, so I made a profile on Hinge and swung a little bit the other way in, in being very clear about what I did, 
at the time my, my title was a relate, uh, um, toxic relationship coach. So I like that was listed on there. I think my first prompt was something along the lines of like, we'll get along if, and I answered, you would have your own therapist <laughs> or, or believe in therapy or something therapy adjacent. Um, but I, I designed my profile on purpose that way, because I, I wanted to really weed out anybody who didn't align with my values. And one of those values being self-growth. And so it's important to me to be with someone who <laughs> believes in introspection and whether it's a therapist or a coach or plant medicine or, you know, whatever it is that they're using to better understand themselves, that was, it's, that's a non-negotiable for me because if you don't under understand yourself, you're not going to understand how you're showing up for me. And we can't have those emotionally conscious conversations. So swung, swung hard. I got some, some responses back from men that were like, oh, if you're a toxic relationship coach, I guess I can't pull the wool over your eyes. I'm like, just, bleh. I was like, great, bye. <laughs> so it worked in so many ways. Um, and I had intentionally created this profile right before I was about to help to co-facilitate two retreats. Um, so I was going to be gone for a lot of that January and February of that year. So of course, like a few days before I needed to quarantine, um, cause we were still back in quarantining days. <laughs> I got a message from, from my now partner, his name is John. And, you know, he is someone that I knew 10 years ago. I knew, um, in my college days and we worked together really briefly. And so he reached out and, and said something very beautiful as a, as a form of a thank you for something that I helped him with in, in that time. And we had lost touch. For, for those 10 years, um, he had a, a big crush on me that in, during that time, which I was not aware of. And so when we reconnected, um, it was just, it was just easeful. The conversation was, was easeful. He was interested in what my job was, you know, not in a way that's like, that was gross. Like the other men had been around like you know, all the, all the quips around a toxic relationship coach, um, but genuinely interested. And so we, that's what started our, our reconnection. And from there, it was just, it was just an experience of feeling into my body. Each time we, each time we talked or shared something vulnerable, it was, it was checking in with myself of like, what does this, what does this feel like? Does this feel does this feel love bomby? Does this feel good? Does this feel uncomfortable? Do I feel anything normal? Like I was, I was very, my eyes were very open to any potential red flags. And what I experienced with him that I hadn't in other relationships was like, like I either I would share or he would share something vulnerable. And then we would, the other person would share. And then we, I would share and then they would share, you know, it was just like this, this building blocks of, of building trust. Like, oh, I, I trusted you with this bit and now, and you didn't use it against me. You didn't make me feel dumb. You held space, whatever it was that I needed from sharing that little piece, which made me more comfortable to share the next piece. And 
we, we created a depth to, to our relationship, to our, our relating that made me feel very secure. And I hadn't felt that safety and safety. If I had one word to describe our relationship, it's safety. And I hadn't felt that like it was, it was so comfort. It was just like a warm fucking blanket, you know, where I, I still had the passion. I still had the excitement to talk to him. I still had the passion when we were together. Like, obviously the physical connection is important or it was important to me. And that was there. And in my mind, I was like, you know, had been reading a lot about toxic relationships and narcissists and going down the rabbit hole of all the things. And they were like, you'll never feel, you'll never feel the excitement or the euphoria again. Um, healthy relationships just don't feel like that. And that's something that I, I help my clients with often is it's not going to feel the same roller coaster feels like you're not going to have the euphoric high and then the dump and then the euphoric high and then the dump, but you can be in a relationship that's like this steady, this steady, exciting ride. Like it's the roller coaster versus the road trip, the roller coaster, you're losing your stomach and you feel like you're going to throw up sometimes, but then you're like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever fucking done, you know, but it's the highs and the lows and the highs and the lows. Whereas the road trip is like a sustained excitement and it just is different in your nervous system, but there's still passion there. There's still like, like that desire to want to be with them, but it's not checking your, your phone every five seconds to see if they text you back because, oh my God, does he still like me? It, there were no games. There was just like, yeah, he's, he calls when he says he's going to call. He texts back when he says he's going to text back. Like, I could trust this person. <laughs> it was that part was less excited, less not exciting is not the right word. It was less um chaotic and so peaceful felt a little bit new to me and like, oh, I don't have to try to catch him in something or I don't have to wonder if he's still interested. It's just like oh, he is, like he just shows up. So again, the safety, the safety of that. Um and I didn't think that was possible. And and the farther that we've gotten into our relationship, the more safe it's gotten. Things that I shared with him in the beginning have never been brought back up and used against me. My, my emotions, my feelings have never been thrown back at me um, in ways of like, stop being so emotional or you shouldn't need that, you shouldn't feel that. It's always met with, tell me more, or I want to understand, or come here, let me hold you. Or how can I support you? You know, he's not ever trying to fix. We both, we both have a good understanding of what interdependence is because we've both come from codependent situations. So we, we can self-soothe and, 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 and move through our feelings while being supported from the outside, but not leaning on that person to fix it for you, fix it for us or, or do it for us or make us better. So he's, we have created this, this energy of this relationship that is built on respect and, and deep love 
for the other person in their experience. Like, I want to know what he's feeling, or I want to know if I triggered him accidentally, or I want to know what's happening in his, the stories in his mind, because we're all always making up stories because that's what we do. We make meaning of, of experiences. So my meaning of an experience might be different than his. And if that's causing something in the relationship, it's like, let's sit down and talk about it. There's no fighting. There's no yelling. There's no name calling. There's no silent treatments. There's no, like, there's none of that stuff, which again, I didn't think that was possible. I didn't think that you could have a relationship that was built on respect. And because we respect each other so much, we, we come to every conversation from that place. When we are feeling triggered, where you are articulate in our emotions enough to say, I'm feeling something right now. I'm going to go, you know, understand better what that is. And I'm going to come back to this conversation. So there are moments where we need to take space and come back to something that feels triggering, but we're never yelling at each other or name calling or um, blaming the other person. So being here, being in this space, like I said, in the beginning of this podcast, like every woman deserves this feeling. Every woman deserves that moment of a partner being like, being so attuned to you to say, oh, looks like your little girl is, is feeling something. Let me hold you. How can I help? Like that level of care and being seen and being heard and being appreciated and valued and fuck, it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting emotional uh, talking about it because it's, it's beauty that I just never thought was possible. And I want that for you. I want that for, for every woman and man, fuck every man, every person. I just happen to work with women, like, but every person, um, every person deserves to be treated this way in a relationship. And so to help women move past the blocks that keep them in, in relationships that aren't serving to help them again, find clarity around why they feel like they don't deserve love or why they feel so comfortable with somebody who is destructive helps helps them to heal those wounds so that they're not re-wounding themselves over and over again. They're not going, going to the dry well for water. You know, I'm not going to this person hoping he's going to love me this time and then being shown that he doesn't again. And then feeling this, this pain, this wound be re reinforced like, Oh, I must not be lovable because he doesn't love me. You know, and it's just, it's like you're living asleep. And that's why I named my business lucid living, because when we're awake, when we have clarity around our life and what we're doing, oh, it's just such a different experience, such a different experience. And I want that for you. <laughs> um, those of you who are considering 
you know, or know that you want to be a mother, like for you to do this work so that you're not wasting all of your precious years before our clocks start to kick in, before our, our biological clocks start ticking. So you're not, you're not wasting all of your time in relationships that aren't going to provide you the, the loving foundation to, to bring a child into the world with. To help you see your worth and have you help you stand for your worth so that you can, sh you can find the man who can be the father for your kids that can give you the, the life that is not only beneficial to the children to see a loving relationship, but that you deserve to live just whether or not you have kids. Like there's, there are so many short-term, long-term benefits to this work that it's just the, the time is, is always now. It's always the right time to start to do this work and know that it's possible. Know that it's, know that you don't have to continue in the same relationship you're in or in the same pattern of relationships that you're in, um, no matter how old you are. 30, 40, 50, 60, like I've worked with women on the full scale of age where they come and they're finally like enough, enough. I need to, I need to turn my attention from everyone else trying to fix everyone else and start to look at why I'm putting myself in these situations or why I'm staying in these situations. And when you can change that, your, your environment shifts. So I don't just, I don't know, I haven't worked with a relationship coach, I guess, in, but in my research of other coaches, you know, it's a lot of like goal setting and mindset work and, you know, moving towards this, this place you want to be. And yes, to that and feeling, feeling all of the pain from your experiences and all of the things surrounding these wounds of ours is how we integrate those experiences so that those experiences aren't, we're not stuck on repeat, just trying to, to help ourselves or trying to heal ourselves. So we have to go in, we have to go in. I think I talk about it like, um, like we're stuck on this analytical buoy. A lot of the time, a lot of my clients are very smart. They're very intellectual. They're very analytical. They understand their past. They're like, yeah, this happened. So this happened. Of course this is happening. They understand boundaries. They understand codependent, like they understand these things, but the things aren't shifting in their life. So if we can let go of the buoy, go under the water, feel, integrate the experience. We do that by having an oxygen mask, right? When you go underwater, you need something to help you breathe to feel safe. So EFT tapping is my oxygen mask for my clients. If you aren't familiar with EFT tapping, go back to some previous episodes. I'll link in the show notes that talk more specifically about that, but it helps you to feel like instead of just understanding you were betrayed, how do I feel that I was betrayed so that I can move through that experience, move that energy, move that feeling so that I'm not just 
living with betrayal simmering in the background, right? We have to feel. There's a saying, you have to feel it to heal it. I don't know who came up with that in the first place, but I love it. There's also another saying, if you're overthinking, you're underfeeling. Again, I don't know who said it, but I love it because <laughs> it's true. You got to get out of just our head and move into the body and, and have that safe space to be witnessed, be held. You don't have to do it alone. You can't. You can't do it alone. I'll, I will go out on a limb and say that because when you're healing relational wounds, you need to be witnessed first by yourself, right? Witnessing and, and validating your own story is true but then being witnessed by somebody else and feeling what it is to be in a space where you can say the vulnerable thing and it not be used against you is so powerful. And then to have skills on top of that, of like me to help you move through or, or whoever to help you move through making sense of the experience, making sense of why, because it's just so empowering. It's so empowering. Now I feel like I'm just repeating over and over again, why, <laughs> why it's so important. Cause it is, it's so important. Um, to be quite honest with you, whenever I share this way about my story and these moments that, that like feel more vulnerable, I almost feel like I black out a little bit and like, <laughs> and so if I'm repeating myself, this is just what's happening my, in my brain. I'm like, did I say that already? I don't know. doesn't matter. What matters is I hope for my story that you take away an understanding that you're not alone and that it's possible to change. And there's support out there for you if you want to change. Um, you're not stuck. You're not stuck and you shouldn't, not shouldn't. You don't have to settle for somebody who isn't aligned with what you want, who can't hold space for your experience, who can't show up from a place of respect. Like it's not, it's not asking for the moon to have, to have a relationship based in respect. So know that that's possible. I know sometimes, you know, when we start to identify our values and our needs and our wants, and we're like, oh, there's no way I'm gonna find somebody like that checks all these boxes. Like I'm being ridiculous, I'm asking for too much. And you're not, you're not. It's just a matter of finding that person who, who also aligns in those same ways. So when you come to dating with a level of confidence of like, this is what I'm bringing to the table. I know that this is what I need and want. I know that this is, these are my non-negotiables. Like, what do you, what do you bring into the table? What do you need? And what, what do you want? And can, is this going to, is this going to work? Is this going to make a beautiful dinner together at our table or not, you know, you, you start to approach meeting people from a, that place of confidence, as opposed to choose me, choose me. I'll be whatever you need me to be. Choose me. And then you self-abandon and you chameleon into whatever they need you to be. And then you build resentment and you're living in this, this painful place for years and years and years. You get to be choosy around the person that you're spending your life with. You get that, that, that is your right. I'm giving you full permission to do that. 
So I think that's, that's it. That's where I want to end for, for today. Um, if you have any questions, if any part of this story brought something up for you or anything, please reach out to me. All the, all the links of the ways to connect with me are in the show notes. Um, but know that I deeply care. And I, I, until you can feel for yourself, your worthiness, I will hold that for you. You're not alone. A reminder that enrollment is happening now through January for my group coaching container, Becoming, and there's only four spaces available. If you want to submit your interest form, please go to briwalta.com slash becoming. You can also click through the link in the show notes.